1: This is the Investing Power Hour number 78. I think we're going to keep it as season one forever. We're never going to move on to any sort of season two. We're just going to keep going and going and going until we hit 1,000. But my name is Brett Schaefer, and I am joined as always by Ryan Henderson. This is, I should say, Chit Chat Money, uh, investing podcast talking about anything about stocks. On these episodes, we talk about basically an open-ended discussion on any sort of financial topics, any sort of business topics that come to mind, anything we want to talk about. And it's a very free-flowing discussion. If you're listening to this, we do them live. A few people join, but for those that do, they love asking a lot of questions. They can help spur the conversation themselves. And we go live every thursday morning or thursday midday on the east coast thursday morning on the west coast and it kind of depends where you're listening around the world but you can come join us ask us questions it's usually 9 30 a.m pacific time but that that is all i think i have for the intro so ryan how are you feeling today it has rained for about one week straight here in seattle so we got fall very early and it's not it's not been the best, but at least the markets have been exciting. There's been tons of news this week.
0: I, you know what? I kind of find the rain a little refreshing it, after after a summer of pure sun. I I, I don't know. It, it's kind of exciting to me, but yeah, after about a week it starts to
1: I'm already tired of it.
0: Yeah, because we got we're in we're in this for about next 8 months, but uh the yeah, why don't yeah, let's talk let's talk markets because no one really gives no one cares about the seattle weather um I, I, I don't
1: know hey maybe they might but yeah why don't you go through one topic unless you have any sort of thing you want to talk about first while i kind of tweet out the links
0: well uh government shutdown markets are down markets in turmoil yeah we'll never recover from this um the yeah the, there has been a ton of news over the last week or so you got the one that i really want to talk about which is the ftc lawsuit Uh, which is FTC lawsuit on Amazon, which seemed a little ridiculous. And there's some really good tidbits from that, but why don't we start with match groups, new Tinder Select tier. Hmm?
1: Biggest news of the month. I'd say
0: (laughs) for, for match group shareholders. Certainly. Yeah. Match group launched this new tier for Tinder called Tinder select. It's a nice little measly $500 a month. The benefits aren't really that exciting, to be honest. The, the whole, I think, appeal here is that you are in, a, in an exclusive group, essentially. So they're not accepting everyone. You have to apply to be considered for Tinder Select. And if you're accepted, then you can pay $500 a month. And basically, from what I understand, it's just like the hottest people get accepted. I think it's based on like a likes mm. ratio or am I no, wrong?
1: I, no, no, it's active. No. Most active? Not, oh yeah. That would make no sense, Ryan. Come on. The <laughs> I mean, people don't have to pay for anything. That's,
0: that's fair. I guess it's going to be like 90% men that are paying for this then.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. As always. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, frankly, the ones that struggle the most, right? And the ones that are wealthiest. I mean, you're not going to have attractive people on there. It's the ones that said, it's the 1% most active, which I think makes a lot of sense. So the people that it are on there a lot.
0: It didn't say the 1% most active. It just said it membership, mem- membership spots are limited to less than 1% of users.
1: Yeah. I thought when I read an article, when I wrote something up on this, it said 1% of like their best users, their top users. So I'd say that's most active power users. I basically, I,
0: I haven't seen anything that says that's what they're going to do. I mean, in the conference calls, they basically said, we're trying to, there are people that, I mean, it kind of makes sense. So like, like there are people that have a much higher propensity to pay or propensity to spend, and you're basically charging them the same as everyone else. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. They talked about power users in the conference call, but
1: yeah. So you're saying, yeah. So the, maybe we're, you're thinking of the people that they're, they're available to talk with, but I'm thinking of the ones that are going to pay. So you're, are you saying could be, but
0: like, okay. So there's like the select mode, which means you can only see other accounts that have select. My thought here is why would you want to see 90% other dudes?
1: Yeah. So I think it's different. The ones that are paying, are going to be different than the ones that are you're seeing.
0: Yeah. But I'm saying there's going to be like a mode where you can only see the people that are paying.
1: Oh, well, that doesn't seem very valuable
0: the The thing that I think is probably what people are going to pay for the most here is you can direct message people without matching with them, and you can actually go back to like to your previous seven days of likes. So say you came across some account that was just like you you felt it was the magical one and you had to message them and you liked them five days ago, and they hadn't matched with you. And you really and, and just to be clear that doesn't necessarily mean like they didn't like you too they might not have seen your account like you you might not have been made available to them they might not have noticed that you liked their account so they just get didn't get the chance if you really wanted to match with them and you were willing to spend 500 dollars to do so you could apply to Tinder select you could go back check out your likes send them a direct message without even matching with them I think There are probably some people that would pay for that. Now, I'm picturing 90% of the users here being really well-off like teens and 20-year-olds that just have way too much money to spend and probably get quite a good allowance from their parents.
1: Oh, yeah. Just like mobile gaming or video games in general. Yeah. And let me, since we've been kind of confusing here, (laughs) uh, here, I have a summary of the key points. So $500 a month. And as Ryan mentioned, the key point here is messaging with people they have not matched with, while the, quote, most sought after users will see their profiles. And then the third point is that Tinder is offering the plan to less than 1% of its users it considers extremely active. So I think we're both right.
0: Yeah. Matthias H. puts in the chat, are they catering to sugar daddies? Probably.
1: Well, that might be.
0: (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) that might be the most common use case the now you can like opt out of receiving direct messages without matching so if you're just getting spammed with crap like you can just opt out of that stuff the other thing that i think is kind of interesting here is there they're like you will have the option to display the select badge on your profile don't you think it's kind of a very weak look to be like, yeah, I pay five hundred dollars a month for Tinder. Like, no, no, no. no one, yeah, no one's well, gonna want to see that.
1: Okay, on one on the one hand, typically you want that they 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 don't broadcast that you're paying, right? Because that shows the weird signal thing thing that goes on with dating. You want to show that, that you're need, cool, that, that you're not trying, yeah. that you're not trying too hard, that you're trying to yeah, that you need to pay, right? But for this one, Matt H mentioned the I don't know how to describe it. the, the, the the fact that you have the badge that shows you can afford $500 a month could be beneficial. So I think giving that option is nice. And what's interesting here is that I like that they priced it extremely high for their ultra premium tier because you don't want too many people signing up for this thing. You also, there's not going to be that many people that want to because of the, no one wants, you know, there's only a select few people, but it's going to have extremely high incremental margins. And if you have, so it's $500 a year. So basically on an annualized basis, $6,000 a year, you know, when you sign up for these things, it's usually not on a yearly basis, but people cycle through. That means if they have, and let me make sure I'm doing the math correctly here.
0: And there's probably got like 60 million monthly actives.
1: Yeah. So if you have depending six, how you measure it. basically so. 6,000 annualized times, let's say they get 10,000 people to sign up, that's 60 million dollars so that's not bad right if that's they get one
0: if they got one percent of their users to pay for tinder select that's probably like i'm guessing that's five hundred thousand users
1: yeah and i would think it'd be closer to like 0.2 but that's still fairly meaningful yeah
0: i agree okay. they, they also did the classic if you can just get one percent everyone you know like the whole like if they can capture one percent of their market it's huge so whatever but no what
1: what do you what do you think of it I, i guess yeah let's talk our opinions Chit Chat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies. They charge USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%, rated the lowest among margin fees. The ability to trade stocks, bonds, options, futures, commodities, and more with high interest rates paid on instantly available cash balances, plus the ability to lend your eligible stock shares to earn passive income all on one single unified platform. That is why we at Chit Chat Money use IBKR and wouldn't use anything else. Restrictions apply. For more information, visit ibkr.com info. Member SIPC. Open an account with IBKR today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
0: Well, my classic thing to do is anytime a company that I own announces something, I rationalize the best case scenario. And I think, oh, this could totally work out. And then- St- we, Strategic
1: we, partnership? Ooh, remember, interesting.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember Tinder coin? Hmm, maybe that is the future. Anyway, the I do think there's a market out there who, and frankly, it's probably a lot of the creepers, although they do have like certain- Conditions that have to be met for your profile. You have to have like five pictures, you have to have a real bio, and you have to have like activity. I think there are a bunch of people that can pay for this and will pay for this. I don't think it'll be that significant financially. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it's
1: it's peer margin, basically.
0: Right. Yeah. Bernard Kim said he's had success with this at Zynga where. Allowing your highest end users to pay egregious amounts helped them. And so he's seen the success of it. He says he's excited to try it on Match Group's properties, probably just starting with Tinder. The other thing that I potentially like here is it may be helpful to offset some of the really popular people that have gone to things like the league or. What's the other one that's like for really like famous people? You know what I'm talking about? Raya. 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 Maybe if you can build this into like the high-end, wealthy, exceptional, active users, and they can filter it to just select mode. It can replace some of the Rayas and the leagues of the world. I don't know. It might be might be helpful, but that's really kind of a small market.
1: Yeah. I think it's a good plan, but Not a game changer and TBD, but they're doing the right thing. All right. Let's do another topic. I wanted to talk a presentation on short selling. This is kind of older. It's from Upslope Capital, a great short seller on Twitter, but I thought it was very relevant. And I had a note here that you know markets start start dropping. So we talk about short selling. But I thought it was really interesting for any listeners. I'm going to share the screen, but it's really, if you're listening, it'll be pretty easy to follow along, but I just want to show these uh, so Ryan can see him as well. The gist of it was that short selling isn't, it gets a worse reputation than you think. He has a starter slide here, which basically says, and he has some good pop culture stuff going along with it, where like he has a you know, the, the old quip that everyone says, did you know that shorts have unlimited potential for losses and your gains are capped at 100%? And then he has Jim Chano saying, I've seen a lot more companies go to zero than infinity, which is definitely right. Because no company has ever gone to infinity. And a lot of companies, what is it like 90%? No, I think it's 60, 70% underperform, something like that actually he has the stat in here that's
0: like the first picture i've seen of young jim chanos
1: i know whatever the old looks so
0: different that's so funny
1: (laughs) the old 80s wall street people with they they wear the suspenders the big ties the white t-shirt they would look you know in their high in their high floor office yes exactly exactly okay so yeah actually here's the slide so here here's the number here most stocks Have or underperform, say the index, whatever index you want to choose, they use the Russell 3000 here. So 66% underperform the Russell 3000, and 40% of the stocks have negative absolute lifetime returns. And what this means is for anyone that doesn't know, if you're running a long short strategy, it's not necessarily that your shorts have to go negative, right? It's that they need to underperform the ones that you buy. You know, it's great that if they go down a lot, but it's not necessarily the end of the world as long as they underperform your longs. And again, there's some, some math there. There's the short interest you have to pay. And then there's the stuff you can earn owning like treasuries on the cash, you know, that you take in something like that. Right. But besides, that's besides the point. He does give some examples here. There's a nice chart, and I'll basically, we don't need to describe the chart for anyone, but here's what, they say they like to focus on as short targets. and two, There's two things here. And he has a chart that goes for basically time needed uh, or stress and mental health costs versus odds of being profitable. And they like to focus on the ones that might be the most stressful, but have the highest chances of being profitable over the long-term, which are if you can find big time fads and frauds. And he goes through two examples and I'll go through basically. So, I guess an example here for a fad. Actually, was it a fad or a fraud? I, I don't know. It was Tattooed Chef. And you looked at, okay, so many red flags that added up. And this is why they wanted to target it. One, going after, you know, SPACs. Two, talking about TAM. Three, uh, accounting shadiness. Uh, shady promoters liking it and pushing it Um, a lot of hazy data ratting a fat writing a fad which is like you know kind of the the trendy plant-based food you know that type of stuff remember the that kind of bubble we had with beyond meat and stuff like that and then obviously it was overvalued related party nonsense is all added up to be really a easy short, I would say, over the long run, even though it kind of ran up for a while. And then I guess another thing he talks about here, and maybe we can pause um, after and do a little discussion and maybe continue if Ryan has any thoughts here. And I thought this was a perfect example. I mean, we've been, we don't, we we don't really short at all. So, but we've been kind of in the community that doubted Tesla, right? We've been Tesla doubters for a while and That's obviously been quite wrong, but he says, you don't need to be a hero, which he says, why fight Mike Tyson when you can kick granny in the shins, which is a apparently from uh, Aristides Capital, Chris Brown on shorts. I don't know if that is a fake thing or a joke, but (laughs) if that's real. And basically he said, okay, you can target a company that's going to say they're going to go from zero revenue to 300 billion in revenue. In three years and hit 34 percent margins as long as we can figure out a way to file a 10k someday and get this at the money offering going or you can fight mike tyson which is mostly self-funding uh, ceo ceo has legal immunity investor base will yolo anything and doesn't care and the two ceos were one rc moto which is that electric golf cart vehicle which is apparently the easiest uh, short ever if those were the numbers there. And the second one was Tesla, which has ruined a lot of people shorting because you know, of the examples above. So Ryan, maybe I stopped there. Any thoughts on that so far on targeting the frauds and the fads for your uh, for short song?
0: No I think this this is my first time looking at this and I really like the presentation because I think a lot of people when they hear frauds and dan mcmurtry once said you know we don't short frauds because if the one thing you learn about a public fraud is that they're probably pretty good at being a fraud but i think a lot of people when they think about frauds think about the most high profile ones as opposed to the companies that are just scraping by have shady accounting happen to get public because they wanted to use public shareholders to finance their own operations i think Tattooed chef's probably a really good example of that. It might not be like the biggest outright fraud, like say an Enron, but there's probably some fraudulent stuff going on. And it kind of fits into that fad trend. I think that's I think that's probably a pretty good approach. I like that.
1: The- and it's one where only- the fundamentals aren't don't look even that good. And I think one thing he talks about is wait for the break. Because there's going to be a lot of downside once it breaks.
0: Interesting. the 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 one thing that would concern me about that strategy is in an environment like a 2020, the frauds tend to have the biggest cults, and you get really easy financing, and sometimes it it feels like it can turn a fraud into a real business. But yeah. Obviously, if you're shorting at the end of 2022, you know, it's good. You just kind of don't know how long that irrationally exuberant environment is going to last.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think he covers some of that later in the presentation, which maybe we can go through. We do have a comment, though, from Matt H saying when Druk says he's probably made no money shorting, does that mean he's just bad at shorting then? Possibly because, yeah, he can't be good at everything. He seems to be good at a lot of things, but maybe shorting is not one of them. I think what's interesting is, and again, people have this idea about short selling that you got to buy something and then it has to go to the zero. One, and this is wasn't true after the Great Financial Crisis for a while, but it is true today. When you short sell something, you get cash in, so you could either buy Treasuries, right, earn five percent on that, or you buy another company, and if the spread on that is, you know, positive, you're going to make money, right? If you buy a company and it performs better than a stock that goes nowhere you're going to make money. And again, I know mean, we're not experts here, but generally that that is true.
0: Yeah, I think this really kind of opens my mind up to it a little more because you do hear a lot of narratives of the riskiness associated with it when there's definitely some ways to kind of contain that risk. The concern is more of... The, uh,
1: you're, yeah, you're, you're I'm showing an example of the concern right here where the RC Moto stock went to the moon for a little while there.
0: Yeah, and what's his name? Who's the Australian fund manager? Hampton, another long term seller does. His quote yeah. around it was like shoot, shorting in 2020 was like shooting fish in a barrel, but sometimes the fish would shoot back. Yeah. Think, <laughs> that's true. I think that's where it like makes me worry is the colts that can get that can get behind some of these stocks can just yeah even though they I feel- have no real viability, they can if you have promoters like a uh like like what we're seeing there on the screen.
1: Yeah, it might be a certain ETF manager in front of the Arsmotocar, car, which is a hilarious, absolutely hilarious site. But I think here are two things for that. One, you probably can't like going too much um I forget the industry term, but basically having too much leverage. When using this type of strategy, can't do that, right? Because you don't that's that's a big risk of blowing up. And second, you probably need 30 to 40 positions that are all sized fairly small. But I think the good thing is about that is there are so many of these small, mid-cap, really terrible companies out there that I don't, if you have a bigger team, I think it's not the the hardest thing to do to find 30 to 40 of these things that are gonna really underperform over the long haul. Yeah, I
0: I wish we kind of adopted this approach earlier. I know it's easy to say coming out of yeah. 2020,
1: but the what what, what what do you think? Are we still I I mean, we're both different, but you think we're still I feel like I'm still multiple years from able to employ any sort of this strategy with any confidence. Like I still need to learn a lot.
0: Yeah, I just haven't really dedicated a lot of time to Learning it to be honest, it's been we've been running a long only fund, and so the focus has constantly been what works for us on the long side. I think before I put any real money to work on the shorting, yeah, I'm probably a couple of years out,
1: yeah, at least yeah, I might yeah, I might be that might be something I would do as I get older, but we're still you know young, so we're still learning along with all you guys um and if but I'm, ever, keep, or, if
0: I'm ever doing it like solo, I don't know if I'd be doing it like.
1: That's right. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of, yeah.
0: If I'm just putting money in my Roth and wanting to look away for a while, I don't think shorting is going to be my.
1: Yeah. Cause it takes a little more time and tracking, I would say, but here, okay, let's, let's keep going on the presentation. So we looked at the one that said like the perfect target, which was RC moto during bubble 2.0. Um, as the presentation says, not a joke. So the backstory was a complete and utter BS qualitative story about these three, it's kind of like these golf cart style electric vehicles that were super niche, but and there was near near zero chance of financial viability. They only had $7 million in revenue and negative $56 million in EBITDA. It was heavily promoted to retail and CEO cared a lot about of shorts. So the presentation says, check, 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 check. This is the target, right? That we want to go for a short. However, given the pump and dump here, he said, lesson learned, size carefully. I did not manage this one well. I lost a modest amount of money, even though it's basically gone to zero. But he says, this is kind of a good lesson as it really doesn't get harder than this. So that's kind of the downside is, like, okay, you can target something that's a clear zero, but you actually might not make any money.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's, that's a really good indicator of how much do management teams worry about shorts.
1: That's true. That's true. That's a positive and a negative because sometimes they can really try to, I think, screw it. You've seen that from time to time. All right. And they, they can
0: they can go ahead. make you the enemy that their
1: shareholders rally around. Yeah. So here's golden rule for fad and fraud shorts. Size and manage your positions to survive no outsized positions no shame stemming bleeding if you uh as needed walk away from the screen uh, have patience wait for the break which basically means wait for the stock to break and wait for the fraud to break right Accept that you have to accept that even if it's a small like 70 basis point position really really small position and if it's headed to zero it is going to be a strong value add, even if you don't resize it as you go down, because again, this, you know, as, as the short goes down, it becomes a smaller position in your portfolio. A lot of people, and this is what the GameStop shorts got in trouble with, tend to add to their short as they go down, right? Um, you know, kind of pile into your position, hopefully get more gains. But what he says here is, you want to make fads and frauds boring. Fish in the right pond, which is. There's never a shortage of lousy stocks. Look for a pileup of red flags and look for the granny versus the Tyson. So don't go after Elon Musk, who's going to ha- who has a lot of power out there. And then you want to size smaller than you, pos- than you think. So lots of tiny positions, which helps you keep your sanity. All right. I don't yeah, know if, if we C- want to do if any the more of that.
0: But- if the CEO has more than 50 million followers on Twitter, don't, <laughs> don't, don't go after it.
1: The- yeah, that's true.
0: What were some of the most clear shorts? I know this is kind of obvious now, but where were a pileup of red flags? Do you remember any companies throughout 2020, 2021, where we're like, oh my gosh,
1: there's so many. RC Moto. I mean, oh, oh, the one that we knew for a fact that we covered as a not so deep dive was App Harvest. I mean, we were like, okay, this is the easiest one. But again,
0: Well, we talked I to a the- friend who said he like, lived near him and was throwing these massive parties every night.
1: Yeah. And here here we have a comment from Andrew from Capital Mindset said, I know some YouTubers who are unironically super long RC Moto." In that presentation, Upslope says that that's actually an indicator that he looks for promoters on Twitter, promoters on YouTube that are like very, eh. and it's different than say someone like us who is trying to discuss something. It's like they're literally promoting the stock. That is an indicator that this is a company that he needs to look at as a potential short. And then Andrew also says, was just talking to one of my friends who works at a long short fund and says shorting is easier. Literally had just had this conversation with him. Um, And maybe outside and the last comedy has here, and maybe you can talk about this Ryan too. And we can have a discussion here is outside of the Zerp era. It's going to be a lot better for shorting looking for going forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably right. I want to go back to some of the companies we were thinking about because there was also I remember throughout 2020 and 2021 having our podcast. I would get messages from like third parties that are that were like ads. It was like, will you talk about our stock? Yeah, like you're selling. You're not selling. You don't want to advertise your product. You want us to advertise your stock. Like, I guess that is your product. The other one I was thinking of was, was it CarParts.com? You know what was honestly a red flag was yeah. when CEOs engaged with our podcasts when they'd listen and be like, "No, this stuff is wrong." I'm like, why are you? Who cares? Yeah, he, <laughs> like, if you're go, if you're listening to us, and you're like, "No one listened to them," it can't be right. It's like, dude, just run your business. Who gives a crap what we say?
1: Yeah, and then another part on the media stuff is that when a He said another red flag is when a CEO would go on the podcast circuit, which I got to say, hey, you know, I don't mind that, but it can be a red flag. I'd say potentially if they're constantly going around, especially the more promotional type podcast, right? That could be one red flag, but I I don't know. But I think honestly, if someone wants to come on our show and they reach out to us to do that that that's a red flag we but we usually have to reach out to them if we're <laughs> we'll gonna get a ceo on our show
0: have, we'll have him on the show but it's a red flag <laughs>
1: yeah and here's what he said though in the presentation i have to sneeze so that's why i'm looking like this um it sorry to it, listeners uh, i almost had to sneeze there the he says you can't have one you have to the red flags have to add up you got to have like six or seven hopefully as many as possible
0: yeah tattooed chef was a big one Pretty much all the Chamath Smacks were just a walking red flag. Yeah. The appealing to the heartstrings is a big one. The yeah. What was it? Virgin Galactic? The stuff where it's like, we're not going to give you returns, but it's your, your investment is for the good of humanity. App Harvest yeah. was the same way. Beyond Meat was. I'm guessing their S1 was like that too, but it was kind of
1: prior to COVID yeah nicola Nicola. oh gosh thank you julius caesar there he's back he's back um anyway yeah i think that was a good presentation i let me i'll put it in the comments here for anyone who wants to check it out because it's not something that's easily findable but i think that was fun i don't think anything else there do you want to talk ftc
0: I want to talk ai first okay go right ahead do it so on monday i believe it was announced that amazon was going to invest up to four billion dollars in anthropic it took me a while to kind of figure out what all anthropic does but for from what i can understand very similar to chat gpt in that they have this ai assistant named cloud 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 like claude shannon <laughs> The co- the company was actually started by two former open ai executives they have a consumer facing application which is you know just similar to the chat gpt most of us think about and then they also have this ai assistant that they kind of sell to businesses to integrate in their workflows or add on top of whatever so like they have an integration with slack where you can add anthropic ai to your slack page and you can say like you know there's this long thread summarize it for me that kind of thing um, so they're they're investing $1.25 billion up front and then a potential additional $2.75 billion if condition, certain conditions are met, $4 billion in total. This is by far the biggest investment acquisition, not really an acquisition, but investment they've ever made for AWS specifically. I mean, they've made big acquisitions and investments for the business overall, Whole Foods, MGM, probably missing some others it there there was a lot of i guess i don't know synergies you could call it to be honest some of the aws nitty nitty gritty is over my head so they were talking about some of the integrations with amazon bedrock or aws bedrock which is from what i understand kind of this generative ai for developers that helps them with their aws customer experience they're also going to use the inferential chips, which are like the AI specific chips that Amazon rolled out, which are apparently 30% lower cost. And they're going to use AWS Trainium to train all their AI models. I'm saying stuff that probably doesn't matter to most people. My question to you, what do you think about them lobbying out potentially $4 billion on something? To be honest, we don't understand the synergies here. And it's the biggest sum they've ever done for AWS specifically. Yeah, well, I think- And it's a minority stake. So they don't really have like control over the way the business is going to operate.
1: Yeah, my thing is it's maybe not clearly, but I'm worried that it's a bubble and we'll get to some other stuff here that might be a little more bubbly, specifically with OpenAI. But I like with the cloud providers that there's a margin of safety here because a lot of this money is basically saying, we're going to give you this investment, right? But it's essentially just a partnership to say, okay, you're committed to spending on our cloud platform or whatever you want to describe it, our cloud infrastructure. So a lot of the money is going to flow back to AWS. And I don't think it's a bad move.
0: Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I think you almost have to just say, Andy Jassy, who ran AWS for the longest time, you kind of have to trust him with this stuff because he's proven it. In the past my only concern is does it feel like you have to start acquiring or investing in other companies to add certain capabilities that would kind of concern me um yeah other thing that's kind of tangential to this open ai parent company of chat gpt is apparently in talks to raise a secondary round valuing the company at 80 to 90 billion dollars that's about
1: it's a nine it's about 90 times sales they're about i think at a billion dollars in revenue annually right now
0: 90 times sales and it's a 2x 3x might be triple the valuation that microsoft invested in them at eight months ago so microsoft's gonna beat earnings if this is true because they're gonna have to mark up their stake here's about was
1: thinking yeah 15 billion yeah so they uh, they do this this new round right and we'll get to the employee part which i think is quite telling uh but we're doing they're gonna get this new stake microsoft's gonna have a big unrealized gain then that's gonna make sure they beat their earnings per share which means that microsoft stock's gonna rise which is gonna create their momentum which is gonna get the indexes to buy more which is gonna just create this self-fulfilling cycle and yeah so the indexes are gonna rise right to the end of the year just because of this Could be. Very well could
0: be. If Apple,
1: I mean, honestly, if Apple and Microsoft beat earnings, it's the, for at least a couple of weeks, it drives that momentum. But that's a whole other topic that I actually might not know much about, but there's another important part here that I want to hit, right?
0: I think a lot of it is, I think I'm remembering this correctly, but I think a lot of it is employees selling stock, not the company issuing, which is maybe telling just in that it's they're using it as a liquidation event and other people are using it
1: as a buying opportunity, but yeah. And a three-year-old company, I mean, the thing. Okay. So I used to just hate
0: on open AI and not understand the value proposition. Then this week Spotify announced this AI for podcast translation where they're going to do kind of this real time. Well, they will, if you upload a podcast, it's a pilot program right now. They're going to be able to translate your voice into a bunch of other languages using OpenAI's technology. Some of those business applications of OpenAI's tech gives me some sense that this could be really valuable. Now, is it 90 times sales valuable? Kind of hard to say, but I'm starting to get a better understanding of how it can be really useful in the real world.
1: Yeah. And it is. Yeah, it's clearly got a lot of value. Right, what I wonder, though, is could how hard is it going to be for Google to just replicate this? How hard is it going to be for Amazon AWS services to replicate this with, again, you talked about them be kind of the third-party person to help other people do this. And then also Meta this week, which we're probably not even talking about, launched a bunch of stuff like this. They could probably easily do it. I'm forgetting others. Apple, I guess, seems to drop the ball on this type of stuff. But either way, I wonder how... Like given how expensive it is to do this stuff versus how big the competition is, whether this is going to be an add-on feature similar to the voice assistants that actually don't create much shareholder value, but it's something a lot of these companies have to do. Uh, But as a, uh, you know, as a, I think it's a lot of that, like Spotify is providing a lot of value specifically, maybe to us, you know, you could be listening to this in Spanish a year from now, could be quite interesting. And you know, there's what over a billion Spanish speakers in the world. That's a huge value add for a ton of podcasts like ourselves. Plus
0: we can hear ourselves speak fluently. That would be nice. The there, I mean, there's obviously lots of applications for it. It's nice to see some real ones coming out. I think though the like the chat assistant to me still does not seem very valuable.
1: Well, here's if, yeah, here's, if okay, you really care ahead.
0: about your work. It, it doesn't seem I mean cheating on your homework's one thing, but just relying solely on the AI for answering real world problems, like is, is it that much better than just researching it and typing it out yourself?
1: Yeah, I agree. And here's, I think, an example that I'm look I'm thinking about from an investment perspective. Google came out with Google Translate a while ago. It's gotten way better, right? They have the voice stuff that goes along with it. I'm sure, given that they have the Google Translate stuff, they could do something like this, right? Like OpenAI is doing with the voice translation stuff. But Google ch- does not charge anything for Google Translate because I think they understand that while they could do a little subscription service and probably get a million, two, three million people to sign up, maybe even more, that is, it's not what it's about. It's about driving people to their platform so they can sell ads uh, and lock people in with these free services.
0: Yeah, I think that's enough AI talk for the day. Let's talk antitrust.
1: Okay. Yeah, I have some stuff here. There's a lot of info. We're probably going to miss some things, but I'll try to sum it up. Uh, There's so much coverage out there of this. And there's going to keep being coverage because there's going to be the stuff in front of all the lawsuits. And there's lawsuits with Google, Microsoft. I mean, I saw something that was really interesting. Maybe we can try to talk about another week about how Microsoft under oath said that They've tried to pitch Apple to be their search default for years, but it's just uneconomical for them because the cost is twice as much as their actual ad revenue, which I think is quite interesting. But that's besides the point we, uh, because to well, this week, on Tuesday, the FTC filed a lawsuit against Amazon, joined by 17 other states accusing Amazon of interlocking anti-competitive actions that it says have inflated prices for consumers harmed third party sellers in Amazon's marketplace and made it nearly impossible for other e-commerce platforms as retailers to compete. Long thesis? No. <laughs> uh the lawsuit I know it's, on-
0: it's that classic uh oh no there's there's a monopoly that's that's winning because it's the low cost provider. That's disgusting. Where? Yeah,
1: yeah. That's oh well, that's like- good. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that with this quote with that the the always sunny win uh his shirt off what he's fat. Okay. But here are kind of the, some of the big points from the lawsuit. Uh, Again, I'm not going to try to ramble on with everything here, but I think it'll help spur discussion. Some of the lawsuit claims are that one, sellers on Amazon are forced to use Amazon's add-on services. Two, uh, some say Amazon takes as much as 50% of every transaction. I'm sure we don't have any hard evidence of this yet, but I'm sure it'll come out during the trial uh third the lawsuit alleges that amazon has increased the number of ads and search results over the years making sellers feel that the only way potential customers will see their products at all is if they pay for amazon for ads Four, amazon won't let sellers sell for less on other websites while setting an artificially high price floor now most of these the things that they allege here seemed a bit weak because it's like yeah okay they can offer these add-on services that's not Anti competitive because you can go somewhere else. I think the only one that might have some merit is if they basically don't let you go under. If there's evidence of this, I don't think there really is because I, I, the evidence that Amazon gives out is that their prices are the lowest out there. But if there is evidence that they set artificially high prices and don't let any, and if someone tries to go lower on another website, they can't and right, they kick them off basically Amazon, who has about 50% market share. That can make sense. But as well, I don't think that actually like it's not strictly anti-trust anti-competitive behavior um it's kind of a weird red line but it's going to be interesting to see what happens here I'm curious if you read anything here and what your thoughts are right
0: so on the last one let's say that you're not able you're not allowed to undercut them on price if you're also selling on their platform just go sell somewhere else
1: right yeah like, well the thing they, is they are what,
0: providing you the distribution yeah
1: let's that's not true. forget
0: that that's the value here like They're providing you billions, millions of customers by easily just uploading a couple of products. Secondly, oh no, they're forcing you to use the fastest shipping service in the world.
1: In the country. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In the country. First of all, they're not forcing you to. It's just by far the most valuable. Like it, it, you can do slow weekly shipments if you want. If retailers are complaining that they're, being forced to use all of these very helpful value-add services. Now maybe on the advertising or the promoted listings you could say it kind of dilutes the experience and it makes it difficult to go, to compete. That's one thing. But like with the shipping, if you want to offer slower times, go for it. They're yeah. just offering you the best option. Like I don't know. Some of this stuff did feel weak and they were like they were talking about basically How it's anti-competitive that they're being the low-cost provider which isn't that like the opposite yeah they they talked about how amazon is lowering margins as an anti-competitive thing right wasn't there that quote in the ftc suit let me go find it
1: yeah the Okay. Yeah. It's, 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 it's hard. Cause you, sometimes you kind of just keep th- like you go through back and forth, like, okay, then this, then this, and this, like if they, if they sell this, whatever, like, what are they trying to entice people to do? I think what's interesting is that, look, they're going to try to make an argument that And like Amazon for some reason is making it harder for these sellers and they're like charging, okay, 50% of the transaction right on Amazon if they use all of their services. But I don't know how egregious that really is because, okay, if you're literally taking the product from wherever it originates and then you're being the demand generation, and you're taking it from the origination, like obviously you don't make the product and then you get it to the customer, you're doing all that work. I don't think a 50% cut is out of the question there. Like that's not, that's not unfair. I, I don't think,
0: but. No, I mean, they're, they're supplying you most of your sales.
1: Yeah, here, here's the quote that, and again, I would follow the best follow on this as kind of an expert, because it's, again, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit over my head on all this stuff. From all the legal stuff, but I would follow modest proposal. A I was about to. Pseudonym. Yeah, he's probably the best, or they are. Let okay, me read this. I think we're about to
0: read the same the thing. Same but thing. It says, okay,
1: okay, you go ahead. Yeah.
0: It says In effect, Amazon deters rivals from even attempting to compete with Amazon's first party retail business on price because rivals quickly learn that their price cuts do not result in greater market share or scale, only lower margins.
1: Yeah, so they're setting the low price. Yeah, here's here's what I don't understand. Here is because if if they say and they talk about locking in with Prime, they talk about um, selling stuff at extremely low prices. If that is true, we should have an antitrust case against Costco because they do a similar thing. They have a subscription service, they have the add-on card product, and they have extremely low prices. And and they squeeze suppliers. Costco squeezes suppliers way more than Amazon does. Way more.
0: I seriously as a consumer, Amazon has only ever helped. It provides real, low-cost items that deliver in a day, it's sometimes the same day. I don't yeah. see can it really be anti-competitive if it only helps the customer? Once it starts to hurt the customer,
1: then maybe. That's but true. that's true. That's, that's yeah. what team moves for yeah, the uh here's what yeah, I think is another interesting point is that it it's it's the the claim here, you know, is they want to make it everything okay, they want to make sure company like the goal of all this stuff in general from a higher level is to make sure companies are not squeezing people and everything is fair in that regard, right? But in this case, they're trying like. They're saying that Amazon is so good at providing value to consumers. And it's almost like we need to make it better for these other companies who aren't making any money. And it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult business. Amazon is running it at a low margin and they're trying to add on these value-add services, but it, it, it doesn't make them a monopoly. If you, what's do, it, you,
0: do, yeah, you don't get to 35% e-commerce share by screwing people, yeah. you get there by providing the most value.
1: Yeah, I think what's weird about this is that the, the their, I think, oh, slogan maybe or motto motto is probably a better word of, of focus on the customer first, providing value to the customer. They took that so far, right? By kind of not putting their business partners first. The merchants are the ones that have a tough time because they make them be hyper competitive against each other. They're very competitive against the other businesses out there, Shopify, Shopify, you know, websites, uh, blah, blah, blah. We all know that. But I would think that's what the FTC wants, right? They want the businesses to be hyper-competitive. And yeah, Amazon has this market share and just started really raising prices. That wouldn't make sense. I mean, if we're looking at clear-cut antitrust, anti-competitive cases, look at Apple, Alphabet, and Microsoft. Those are the ones that actually do stuff that feels a little anti-competitive. Or anti, you know, that, that would be clear cut antitrust cases. I mean, Alphabet and Apple's stuff is some of that stuff is pretty clear cut, I think.
0: Yeah. It is interesting that Lena Khan has basically just had this agenda to, it seems like, tear down big tech or, or you know, try to raise awareness around monopolistic practices. And it's kind of every company, no matter what. And I read something that she had a thesis paper at Yale that was a flawed thesis paper that was about Amazon's monopoly, and that's how she kind of got the job. Uh, or yeah, got that's why she springboarded. It.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty famous paper. Yeah,
0: the it is. It's funny too that the Wall Street Journal, the day this comes out, posts an article that says hedge funds are making tons of money betting against Lena Khan.
1: <laughs> yeah. The. uh that, there, here's a
0: here's a comment that says the uh, where is it betting against Lena Khan is a gift from the gods. Yeah, it's providing us mm-hmm. the ability to get in at lower prices. Frankly,
1: yeah, I mean they usually don't go off that much. But
0: should we have a Mount Rushmore of FTC failures?
1: No, 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 no. I think I think that would be a little bit too cocky. <laughs> but here's here's another thing that I what I would hope any investor thinks about is okay, say the FTC tries to stop Amazon from the things they think are anti-competitive. Okay, now what? Okay, they could break up AWS. Nothing changes. Those businesses are already essentially separate. Okay, second, they say you can't have the price matching thing. That restricts people from selling at lower prices. Take that out. Okay, no one's going to do that because if you try to sell at a 20% discount to Amazon and you have a Shopify website, your own payment processor, your own shipping processing, your own warehousing, your own inventory management, you cannot sell at a 20% discount to Amazon given their economies of scale and actually make any money. So no one's going to do that. Unless you're you're Timo and funded by, and it's absurdly, uh, or just crazy, which again, is not a sustainable business model. So I don't know exactly what changes. Maybe, here's one, maybe the advertising business could be the one that's really under threat here. But if it is, okay, Kroger and Walmart should stop having slotting fees because it's not really that different. And I can maybe, the one, I could hear an argument there about that being different because it's digital but it
0: also makes the experience a little worse for a customer like yeah oh i gotta scroll a little further
1: oh, so, somewhat <laughs> somewhat yeah they i think they are getting i could hear that argument for sure for the, or, yeah
0: the thing i find kind of funny about this is isn't it in a way kind of roasting like shopify to say everyone has to sell on amazon like Shopify's like, well, they don't, you know, they don't have to, they can use our websites and it's yeah, like, we have no, some, no, have no, some it's, it's their monopoly. They have to sell on Amazon. It's like, no, people go there because they get the best service.
1: Yeah. Well, look, you can like, you could have complaints about Amazon and stuff like that. There, it's a giant company. I think there's probably some things, you know, we, we, we own the stock and they're not, but you can't hey, obviously, just Obviously
0: like, do not optimize for profits.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we, which <laughs> we know that as shareholders. The uh, Yeah. And you can have like, just because you own a stock doesn't mean you have to put on the blinders and say, no, no, whatever this company and whatever the CEO says is perfect. But I believe after studying this company, reading both biographies, reading basically a ton of stuff over them over the last five years, they are the most, maybe the most misunderstood large company in America, I think, because they get so much hate. And (laughs) look, like, yeah, they have a million warehouse workers, right? Okay. And what? Six people peed in the bottle once? Like, oh, okay. Like, this stuff is going to happen. As Buffett said, they have like 500,000 employees across their whole operations. And there's definitely going to be some fraud going on at some of them. You can't control that. As you get bigger, there's going to be some things that go on. But here's two things. One, Amazon has invested like hundreds of billions of dollars into this country. So I'm thinking more of like a political perspective. Two, they provide extreme value to a lot of consumers out there that one, don't have to drive to places, right? And you don't have to worry about theft in these stores. You can it's, it's a great value. And then third, they have driven up wages for hourly labor and hourly labor people significantly. I mean, they're the ones that have set the standard and caused Walmart, caused Target, caused these other places to ri- raise their minimum wage to $15 and higher. I mean, they're the ones that have done that. I don't you know, like,
0: I've never I, understood. I've, I've never, never understood, understood the, the hate around
1: that. Yeah. I've,
0: n- I've really never understood the hate around Bezos either.
1: It's Because so he looks, people, str- I think he looks strange and has a weird laugh and he's just a meme now.
0: He's like one of the most coldly rational people and one of the biggest
1: contributors to uh, advancing kind of modern commerce. Yeah, if anything, they've done so many dumb projects that like their their help the, the consumer surplus is incredible. I remember one time, this was, I believe, the one when they had to go to trial during the pandemic when they were like. They were they were saying that there was an evidence there that they were, uh you know, some sort of document, some sort of email that they were saying, hey, look, guys, we're selling these Alexa products, these Echo products below cost. We're losing money on every single one of these. Like we shouldn't do that. And they were saying, the government was saying, hey, look, you can sell your products at below cost, like $30 for the $60 thing to consumers. And it's like, yeah, that's a great, that's a lot of consumer surplus, right? They're like, how is that any sort of you know complaint
0: it's funny if you circle back a century what the anti-competitive lawsuits were right it was about standard oil just price gouging because they could because they had the deal sort of the cutthroat deals with the railroads yeah right now we're suing for the opposite their their costs are so low or the prices are so low that something needs to be changed it's like ooh. it feels to me a bit like she felt like she needed to do this after her after you know having
1: this stance prior to coming in to the ftc role yeah they lost a lot of lawsuits here and it's not surprising because they, they seem to be stretching here's a good question maybe getting off of the lawsuit thoughts on amazon replacing ups ups and fedex i would say maybe not replacing them because they're they're not going to get 100% market share but there's going to be two worlds one the vertical integration at amazon who again is consistently we talked about it in another episode driving down costs uh, they're making stuff cheaper they're not doing surcharges on q4 anymore this year and there's going to be another world which is the disparate parts of the shopify type stores which you can't you know a lot of market share uh and you know, use UPS, use third-party payments, use third-party warehouses, blah blah blah. So I don't think they're going going away, but Amazon is going to be a big thorn in their side from a price perspective. And all they've done is drive down costs across these things. And given UPS's new labor stuff, it's going to be very very tough for them.
0: Yeah, I don't think they'll ever fully replace, but I, I think people should certainly expect that Amazon will eat. A fair chunk of their market share over time
1: yeah and they're gonna their goal is to drive all of their you know transactions off of ups i would say
0: well speaking of unsustainable business models which you mentioned earlier wish is was in the news i guess a little bit because an activist is officially urging liquidation of wish now I haven't done any research on wish in a long time, but I remember the last time we looked at it, we thought there is no way.
1: Speaking of a short, they they were
0: selling beats for like 12 bucks, fake beats. And we're like, okay, this, this platform's dead,
1: but But, Timu's got to kill Amazon. Yeah. It's, it
0: feels like wish 2.0, not to be too dismissive of every competitive threat to Amazon. I think Timu is basically wish 2.0 it uh does this news surprise you that it's probably in liquidation
1: scenario does not i am going to give you a little bit of a trivia here don't look no cheating over the last five years which i think it's just all time because they went public in late 2020 what do you think wishes or as they're known their actual name is context logic what do you think their stock returns are minus
0: 99.
1: Correct. Minus ninety-nine point four. What's a stock that's down ninety-nine percent that is down that goes down ninety-nine point five percent? Or you know, you know that saying, right? A stock that goes down what's the ninety nine.
0: What's the difference between a stock down ninety percent and a stock down ninety-five percent?
1: Yeah, no, what's the difference drawdown. What's the difference between a stock that's down ninety-nine point five percent and a stock that's down ninety-nine percent is a fifty percent drawdown. So Pretty bleak stuff for them. And Jeez. I think that was another example of one that is a, would fit that upslope capital short candidate,
0: right? Well, maybe not now in the liquidation scenario, but yeah, the it, it certainly would have, but obviously that's with hindsight. What did you think about the target closing stores around theft
1: concerns? Another bullish thing for another bullish thesis on Amazon this week. Everything's coming up Amazon. I, yeah, it's a lot uh,
0: harder to steal stuff from a distribution center.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That unsurprising. I think a lot of these stores, people talk about the shrink there, which again, shrink equals theft and yeah, that's probably true. Like, and so damaged goods. And, and damaged goods. Yeah. Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, makes sense. Right. But I think another thing that people may not be factoring in is that these places have been a bit hollowed out from a demand perspective, from office vacancies, from people living in these areas, right? And that definitely hurts no man for these companies who have big real estate footprints there. So it's not surprising that I would say these places get out of downtowns and go to the suburbs.
0: Yeah. I did read some just really discouraging stats around shrink, just growing. It's like 1.6% of revenue. Oh yeah. I think
1: like that's an, that is a huge cut into their margins. I think it's almost hundred billion a year uh, across the United States. That could be the world, but it it could be the United States as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would be so discouraging as like a potential retailer going into like a big city. You just, you're taking a lot of risk. You're putting your employees at risk or at least some of, some of these cities that we've referenced here. What are, are you, uh, in the article?
1: yeah, so we're at about 1030 here and I want to have a closing question here. How, uh, you know, we had some, uh, I don't know if it wasn't a rant, but I say it was maybe a passionate discussion on how this FTC stuff doesn't really make sense against Amazon. I'd say one from an investing perspective, it really doesn't matter. Like the legal fees are going to be irrelevant, blah, blah, blah. Are you worried that we're going to have some cold takes here? Some evidence comes out that Amazon is doing a little bit worse things than we think. How, how are you thinking about that, maybe, as we close out?
0: I really doubt it. I mean, I'm sure there's been some malpractice at some, some spot in the company. But from like a strategic perspective, I don't, don't, don't you think margins would be higher if they were really optimizing
1: to destroy their retailers? That's true. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be an email that comes out that says, we need to put these blank, blank, blank out of business so we can then raise prices? I don't know. There could be though. Here's the thing though, that all the best evidence in these trials, they save, you know, because it kind of adds up right till the end. They, They wait to bring out their best evidence kind of in a blow for blow.
0: Also, Amazon's been under pressure for a long time. I think the company knows to avoid saying certain things.
1: Right, it's been since 2017, right?
0: Yeah, I would be very surprised. Like, some maybe someone sent a stupid email a long time ago, but I think they're all on guard to not say something dumb that could be yeah. pulled up in a trial. There's gonna be hey. that one employee that's like scratching his head, like, "Oh my god, what did I say?"
1: Yeah, no, it's like they see he sends an email, and then the first response says, "Hey, keep it in the Telegram, keep it in the WhatsApp, okay? We talked about this. Give me a call." Yeah. Yeah. What did
0: what did the uh CEO of Binance say? He's like, Don't put any of our stuff in email.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> there's been some great stuff. Sounds like on, something that's not gonna be suspicious. Yeah, there's been some great stuff on crypto lately, which I wish we could talk about, but that's usually a more of a boring topic. And plus usually, we got some hate from it. <laughs> that's true. Although I would say that the 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 I think every week we're getting proven more and more right, but who who knows? TBD. No one likes talking about it anymore. And uh I think that's evidence. That's kind of the evidence we need, but we're running long. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Really had some good comments out there. And again, we go live Thursday mornings, but you can listen to the replays wherever you get your podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Just search Chit Chat Money. Follow us there. Uh, As a disclosure, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital, and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next time.